Good afternoon, everyone. This is Levy Lales Comics Weekly, and I'm your host, Will Leverson. Uh, this week, we're going to dive right on into our topic of discussion for today, which is the DC disconnect. DC not being the electrical current, but Detective Comics, uh, the comic book publisher that has brought us all of, most of our favorite and most some of the most famous comic book characters of all time, being Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, the Joker, uh, my goodness, uh, you name it, uh, The Flash, Shazam, Green Lantern, any of them, whether it's Kyle Rayner or Hal Jordan or even uh, Jon Stewart, any of those guys, it's all DC. And DC, as far as the difference between Marvel, Image Comics, um, and some of the others that are, at, that are out there, is that DC, um, as far as a comic book publisher, uh, introduced many of those characters that we still know today nearly a hundred years ago my goodness in roughly um, 10 or 15 years for some comic book characters they would have been a part of the American experience for a century uh, characters like uh, Batman for example and Superman um, their their earlier stories which is why um, as far as any of the more successful or most successful um, characters uh, from Detective Comics or DC Comics, Batman and Superman and their assortment, their rogues gallery. I know Flash had a really good show, uh, Green Arrow, also another great DC character, um, and all the legends of DC Legends of Tomorrow. Um, all those guys pale in comparison to the two flagship uh, superheroes of Batman and Superman because they've been around for so long. They're so well read um, that it's a little hard. Um, the Batman movies, apart from other other DC adaptations and other DC uh, cinematic universe uh, productions, the Batman movies are by far the most successful uh, of those movies. I'm sure that the older Superman movies um, probably have done done better box office wise than the newer ones, um, but that's not because there isn't a lot of great material. It's just in that sort of suspicion of belief. Batman uh, being the world's greatest detective in storytelling is where DC differs from Marvel. And I know that Marvel is kind of a trendy, um, it has been for quite some time. When I was a kid and I would read comic books, uh, I can tell you that I did not go and pick up any, uh, I did go pick up a couple Green Lanterns, but I was a huge X-Men uh, uh, X Men head. X-Men, X-Factor, X-Force. Um, the, 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 the comic book that I can remember reading in any great detail was actually the Executioner song with Strife and all and Cable and all of that. Um, the X-Men and, and many other Marvel, the Avengers, uh, the Avengers, uh, you know, East Coast, West Coast, Great Lakes Avengers, um, that sort of thing, a Black Panther, man, all the Doctor Strange, um, uh, the, all these characters went to these fantastical worlds, um, but comic books wasn't always that way. The storytelling with fantastical power sets and, and, and origin stories, um, that wasn't how comic books were written. As a matter of fact, one of the, uh, one of the uh, more well-known um, stories um, from any of those two uh, comic book uh, those those comic book publishers 
um, like the Fantastic Four, for example. The Fantastic Four in their earlier incarnation, not being rewritten, but just the storytelling around that uh, titular um, uh, Fantastic Four group of Susan Storm, Johnny Storm, who the Human Torch actually predates um, the rest of the Fantastic Four. He was an old, an, an old foe of Namor, uh, the Submariner, who was Marvel's first character. It was Namor, the Human Torch, and that's right, ladies and gentlemen, the, the, the world's first Avenger, Captain America, where were timely comics, who is what Marvel would become, those were their three flagship characters. And those, the character of Namor uh, is, is before predates um, Aquaman by nearly, I believe, five years. Now, there's not many characters um, that were timely comics or Marvel comics where they introduced the character before DC. DC is the was the earlier publisher. DC, I began, I believe, began publishing um, sometime uh, during the aggression in Europe that would become World War II. As I, I believe that DC's first. Um, character Batman uh, came out um, in 1935, I believe. Batman and Superman around about that same time for getting into the 40s, um, where the uh, philosophy of the overman or uberman or ubermensch would go into making a character known as the overman or superman. Um, if you were a comic book writer, just like anyone that's ever written anything um, in history, you're going to be influenced by things, you know, that you learn in school or things that you uh, learn, you know, learn about in, in, in regular life. And so a lot of these comics, when they were written, were written in a time where people listened to radio and they read things that were in print. So as far as finding an audience with the right message at the right time, you couldn't have picked a better time to have been a comic book publisher. You know, between the Archie comics um, and, 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 and I believe like uh, uh, Garfield later on and some things, uh, that was just the way that people were escaping uh, their world. I mean, we have, you know, Blu-ray players and we have uh, gaming systems. I mean, they had arcades even back then, but it wasn't the same way that we uh, digest or the same way that we interact with our world was completely different. You either read it or you listen to it. You did not watch it on a TV until far later. And so a lot of these uh, comics, the way that they were written, were written like a dime store novel, you know, where there's a detective and he's solving a case and he's got to do all these, all these things. And that's why Batman as a character, Captain America as a character, even Superman to some degree when he was, uh, when he was first written, they didn't have all these fantastic powers. Uh, most of us that are men or women or what have you of a certain age will remember that when Superman's promotional material, the marketing was faster than a, than, than a locomotive, you know, faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Superman did not have uh, the powers of flight yet because we didn't write comic book characters like that. And Detective Comics uh, flagship uh, superhero Batman wasn't uh, the League of Assassins and, and all that. No, he was just he was just a detective that uh, that went on quirky adventures and, and, he, and, he, and he battled all sorts of things that were out in real life. The same way that Captain America didn't battle, you know, the forces of Thanos and the multiverse. No, he battled Nazis because that's that's the, that was the, the way that the world saw its information. They didn't create 
fantastical worlds just yet. Science fiction, even as a genre of, of written works, um, there was The Day the Earth Stood Still as a movie, uh, but that doesn't come until some 15, 20 years after things come out in print. So we didn't have, uh, we didn't have it where uh, cinema had picked up these stories just yet. Even the old Batman um, television show with, with Adam West, um, Caesar Romano and all those guys, Romero, I'm sorry, um, and Eartha Kitt, all the, like the show, when you look at it, is a different presentation of a different Batman and Robin with a completely different, you know, fighting style, it, you know, it, uh, um, the way that uh, the characters were presented. Um, it was more or less about a story uh, than it was a fantastical gadget at his disposal. And so uh, Batman and Superman um, and, and the, the world's first, or oh, I shouldn't say the world, but America's first superhero, uh, if you are a person of a certain age and you're listening to this, then you may actually really like the fact that on a show in the 21st century, we happen to mention a character known as the Phantom. And I know that Billy Zane played the Phantom in a movie in the 90s, and maybe some people watched it or maybe they didn't, but the Phantom was the... Man who, the, the ghost who walks in the shadows. The Phantom's power set, if you can call it that, the Phantom is essentially a purple-clad Batman. Because what the Phantom's tools at his disposal were martial arts, um, high-tech weapons, and, and Olympic-level um, athleticism. That's like every superhero during that time frame uh, even Namor. Uh, Namor was written as a character. The Submariner Marvel, uh, I'm sorry, Timely Comics, who would become Marvel. Namor is the, fir is, is the first mutant written character where mutant is described in his character description. Far before the X-Men, far before any understanding that we would have under Stan Lee and Ditko and, and Jack Kirby and some of those other guys that would write later on. But Namor's character was written uh, in, for Timely Comics to compete with Superman. Namor, as a character, is written to, to parallel, at the time, Superman. And when you take a look at some of those characters' power sets between Superman, Batman, Human Torch, uh, Namor, the Phantom, they're all sort of cookie-cutter, and they're all really, uh, for the lack of a better word, basic, because, once again, we didn't have fantastical powers. Um, in our presentation in media, for example, Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, a radio broadcast that people, uh, the way it's presented to us years later is that people thought that the world was really ending and that, no, it was just masterful delivery. And if people knew they were listening to a radio program, but it was so masterfully done that it, that it, 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 it remained in the minds of people as a really great uh, you know, piece of media work um, as opposed to the, they, they were just so ignorant of the world that they didn't realize that some that Orson Welles wasn't telling some fantastical story about aliens in the UK. So, it, it, so it, you know, there are things that we get out in, in, in media and things that we get out of information that sometimes you just kind of have to pull it apart and kind of, you know, take it, take it for what it is. And so when we're talking about, you know, in, in these current times, 
DC, uh, you know, as opposed to Marvel, what we're really comparing between the two are marketing strategies. And that's plain and simple. And honestly, we all know that there has been, you know, there was an old Hulk, you know, a Hulk show, an old Wonder Woman show um, that was, you know, there were TV shows and that people were in Spider-Man and they were reading, you know, reading these characters for sure um, and everything. But they also had to compete with other things like the Bionic Man and the Six Million Dollar Man and all those things like that. And so uh, during that time, we began to get cinema uh, based or, or or motion pictures or 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 televised adaptations of these stories. That is where we begin to see uh, in the storytelling in the printed form uh, some uh, uh, outlandish and otherworldly sort of powers, and it couldn't be for the better. Um, because if you try to read an old Batman story, you know, unless you're like a a, a comic book aficionado or somebody that's really into it. You won't, because it'll be a dry story. I mean, you'll, you'll get a chance to kind of see storytelling as it was in the early 20th century and how that changed, but it won't really kind of speak to you in the same way. And that's something that Marvel has been able to employ in a greater uh, success than DC. And we'll just use the point, uh, what they call, you know, golden age or silver age of comics. But let's just take it from roughly 1960 on into today, because even our way of getting comics in the printed media has changed. We have online comics now. Uh, you know, the publishers have gone and, they, and they've licensed uh, some of their material out to other companies, i.e. Sony or Fox or Disney now with a lot of the Marvel stuff in order to increase their market and in order to increase uh, their visibility. And at the time, so we're going from roughly 1960 to we'll just call it the mid 90s, mid to late 90s, maybe 95 to 98, where we start getting some of the uh, some of this stuff for X-Men and, and Spider-Man and, and, and some of these other uh, uh, adaptations that had come out going into the early part of the 20th, 21st century. And so um, it wasn't simply that. DC was left behind from a storytelling component because those of us that are fans of comic books um, will tell you that DC comics have a much grittier, um, a, a much more sort of rustic and authentic character and story development. I mean, you have uh, Batman and Superman and these people that they're experiencing things that are that in their in their earliest inception, not anything that becomes fantastical. Uh, in their earliest inception, it would have resounded with people that had just come out of a depression or were going into war, the sudden loss of parents and things. So it was able to speak to people at a different time than it was now. Like now we look at Batman like, dude, why are you crying? And people lose their you know, mothers and dads every day to, to violent crime, you know, and then, because of course there's all the memes out, right? You know, about his, you know, Superman and Batman and, you know, the, how Batman is just a guy with a, you know, with a bad, you know, with a bad throat condition or whatever. And, and so, you know, e even though those things are really funny, it still points to um, that sort of thing. Where we're talking about suspension of uh, belief and the ability for a cinema production um, to kind of take us and, and, and have us in that escape world. See, Superman and Batman, as, as, as well-known, long-written characters, there's no kind of new nuances to them. I mean, we kind of know kind of where their characters out, so there's no, no more that you can kind of flesh out of those stories. 
Whereas some of the Marvel characters, because so many of, of the Marvel characters come in at a time where it just kind of exploded, uh, you're going to get some different storytelling. For example, we mentioned that the Fantastic Four from Marvel um, were this um, group of, they were just like Batman. They were, they, you know, went out and did like Venture Brothers adventures where they didn't have, you know, their, their, their cosmic power sets and all of that. Um, so it's just um, how one company has been more successful at marketing through cinema, whereas the DC shows, and also you have to look at who's kind of behind uh, some of the content. We are fortunate enough to get DC's version of Stan Lee, Jeff Johns, who's written and created so many characters, but Jeff Johns as a, as a, as a, as a publisher or as a, a comic book creator, writer, editor, um, and also a creative control on the DC shows. Jeff Johns is, 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 I don't believe he's even hit 55 yet. Jeff Johns may be 48 or 52. I apologize for the show. We're going to look it up here. Um, in just a moment, we just don't want to lose uh, lose anyone here uh, from the show because sometimes it gets kind of uh, uh, silly when you go through different things um, here. But but so um, so Jeff Johns is in a different sort of uh, mindset than a Stan Lee would be. Where Stan Lee, you know, it was kind of nice to see him in movies, but uh, he had kind of given up a lot of the day to day stuff. I mean, I'm sure they still brought him in, but Stan Lee, as 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 far as a comic book creator. Um, actually voiced in a in a old Marvel What If. It might have been in the early 80s because I remember reading it. And in this article that he wrote in this What If magazine, um, he was talking about the first Punisher movie that starred Dolph Lundgren. And what Stan Lee was told by the, uh, by the producers, by the directors and stuff on the first Punisher movie was that they didn't want to use the Punisher's skull on his chest because it was too comic booky looking to which Stan Lee said well you wouldn't tell that to the folks that make Batman I mean the bat kind of goes the shirt the skull goes with the Punisher and Stan Lee from that and I believe it because it came from the horse's pen not from his mouth because he wrote this article but I believe that Stan Lee was 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 reserved and adamant that he would not entertain any other sort of uh, cinema adaptations of his creations or, or for his, you know, uh, for his work, because he didn't want to have anyone take away from what he was doing just because they weren't the stronger uh, at the time uh, company, uh, which was DC. DC could push around this cloud a little bit more, which is why you would have a, 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 a producer tell the color book creator that he's not going to use the guy's call sign because he's not Batman, you know? So <laughs> Batman gets to wear his bat, Punisher doesn't, doesn't get to wear his skull until many years later when we have uh, the other Frank Castle uh, movie adaptation of the Punisher uh, later on. And I, I can't remember if he still, I don't think he even still had the skull. I'll have to go back and watch that movie. I apologize. But the Punisher, in the, so, so you have this notion at the time, this is the early 80s, that DC was a stronger franchise. And then when you go into the stories uh, that we have in between Endgame and the and you have Infinite Crisis and Crisis on Infinite Earths, um, those stories um, are pretty much where we have formed the basis in our current appreciation for DC that is where you get the mythos of an anti-monitor and a monitor and the flash screwing up 
you know, trying to go back and, and make sure that his mom uh, doesn't die and all this that leads to. So that mythos uh, of the DC universe is what went into Jeff Johns's DC shows. And by Jeff Johns being closer in age to a great deal of people that would um, get a chance to see this content, that is why the DC shows are a bit stronger than the DC movies by and by large. I mean, outside of Batman and to some degree the Superman movies, the content isn't as strong as when we see the Marvel movies because you also have to factor into the account that all the characters that we're getting in the Marvel movies are for the most part, I mean, like, like I mentioned, Jeff Johns, the, uh, the, the, the creator over at these, the head editor like Stanley was at Marvel, Jeff Johns, uh, is the Stanley of DC right now. And by Jeff Johns being able to have been a person um, that would have um, been exposed to this when most of his readership is, he, he has a different way of presenting that. Uh, I don't think it's translated, it, it, like, for example, the Zack Snyder uh, movie, uh, the Justice League movie, has all these different um, reintroductions or all these different ways to present it in the way that uh, Snyder originally saw it. But once again, the production companies see things differently than any creator. And sometimes we don't get the artist's um, an original intention until they are able to exhort some sort of control later on. And so there will be many people who are going to look at the new uh, uh, Snyder um, 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 footage and the new Snyder um, reintroduced Justice League movie, and they're going to kind of see it where, where a lot of those narratives are kind of being pulled in from. And the point that uh, in the newer, newer Justice League movies they don't feel like the same sort of endeavor that we got with the Marvel movies because the as far as once again we talked about you know marketing and location and timing the timing of the Marvel movies from uh, I, I'll be 40 this year so from when I was roughly in middle school I shouldn't say middle school I'm sorry when I was roughly leaving middle school into high school on into uh, when I'm a, when I'm entered into middle age, there was a person. Um, well, well, there were like you have uh, Josh Whedon, um, uh, you have Kenneth Branagh who did who who was the Kenneth Branagh did a masterful job on the Thor movie. Um, he's kind of one of these classically trained sort of actors, but that's why the Thor movies were so good because Kenneth Branagh as an actor is just so authentic. He's a Shakespearean kind of guy. He played Hamlet. Uh, I forget what other stuff Kenneth Branagh was in, but that's why the Thor movies were so good. Um, and, 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 and even uh, the Avengers movies that Josh Whedon was behind, they have a far different feel than some of the stuff we get afterwards because Josh, we- Josh Whedon is, is also a, a, younger, a younger content creator, younger, a younger uh, director, producer, uh, creator that's able to harness that a little bit differently than someone who may not have even been exposed to stuff. I mean, like how we'll hear about actors, right? Actors will get selected for these roles and they'll be like, oh, you know, it must have been really fun, you know, playing in the Joker. And then you have this guy saying, well, actually, you know, I didn't really know too much about the Joker until I took the role. And that's, and I'm sure that some, for some of the obscure characters, I'm not sure 
if the actress that plays Scarlet Witch or even Scarlett Johansson um, when she was younger, if they actually, you know, because they might have been in the comic books, you, you never know. But some of, for some of those people, it's their first time kind of being introduced. And so sometimes we'll get a character, get an actor and actress that's able to masterfully deliver uh, where we might have some that missed the boat. Um, I'm actually, um, I'm actually wanting to see what Zac Efron comes up with in his, uh, no, not uh, uh, Zac Efron, I'm sorry, Robert Pattinson. <laughs> I'd love to see what Robert Pattinson, Pattinson does as Batman moving forward. Um, because it would just be kind of great to see someone that's not, you know, a a a, a um, an older middle age actor. Like he's not, you know, his older forties. And so it'd be nice to see Pattinson uh, kind of fill that out, or how he makes that role his own. Just the same way as Jared Leto, um, who actually I think he did a really great Joker. But once again, the Suicide Squad movie, much of his content was removed. Um, and I, I think that's just wrong, right? Like we should get these movies as close to how the director, how the original, uh, you know, original vision was that doesn't sacrifice anything in quality because a lot of those questions that we have about where does Jared Leto's Joker place and what probably most of those would end up being fleshed out had his character been given all the proper screen time, but that's neither, you know, kind of here nor there uh, uh, anymore. And even when you take a look at something like the Suicide Squad. The characters that make up the Suicide Squad are not, you know, characters, you know, besides Harley Quinn and folks looking at the animated Batman shows, if you were a, a newbie um, to comic book world, Suicide Squad would have felt like for you a video game that you were watching. So it was easier for people that have maybe not even heard about a Suicide Squad to be introduced to the notion of a Suicide Squad. And so while I just mentioned that DC may not have had a great deal of success, the Suicide Squad, apart from you know a lot of the other movies, uh, is about as successful as you can hope an obscure group or an obscure team of DC one-offs and, you know, characters that kind of, you know, characters go, DC characters go to the Suicide Squad to literally be written out, you know, the Suicide Squad, or to have some uh, storyline angle fleshed out, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, Captain Adam or, or something like that, or even, or even uh, Amanda Waller. I would love to get an adaptation of Amanda Waller that is not only comic book accurate, um, but just like, like, like just dead on spot on the same way that we've gotten in some of the uh, Marvel movies. Amanda Waller um, should be a character that if done correctly would, 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 it would certainly introduce um, more people to the notion uh, of, of, of minority, uh, minority characters um, strong minority characters um, in comic books because for the longest time women and minorities were kind of seen as being relegated to to these and that's really not the case with characters like Amanda Waller like Amanda Waller uh, I don't know if, if, if a lot of folks that listen to the uh, to to the show here uh, kind of know about Amanda Waller why I'm kind of really uh, really adamant or really uh, enthusiastic about her being written as comic book accurate. Amanda Waller is a black woman who grew up in Cabrini Green in Chicago that managed to find herself into a position of influence and power in a fictional 
um, a fictional government sort of a, a, a sort of a operation there. And so like a character, like her character, if you just take that, what I, what I've just shared with everyone and just really take a look at it, man, that character could be so, it, I mean, it could be, it could, it could be everything for the culture that black Panther was without, um, being a character that's too fantastical. And that's why I mentioned, uh, that I, I really like DC comics because their characters, they're, they're not, I mean, they are fantastical, right? But DC characters don't feel that far removed from who we are as people or, or, or things that we've gone through in life. For example, I just gave an example of someone who was, who was a character written, rich in this way. This isn't something that they did in an adaptation to try to bring people in. No, Amanda Waller has been a black woman who grew up in Cabrini Green in the real Chicago um, and then written into a, like, that's been her character since, since she's, since she's, since she's been a part of DC Comics. I mean, the fact that here's a human woman with no powers or anything like that, but she's able to have these super powerful beings do her bidding because if she, if you don't, she's going to find a way to kill you and she will do it. Like with the, the Suicide Squad all have their bombs in their neck. Like that is like that is Amanda Waller uh, down to the T. And so I hope that they're able to do that in D.C. And I hope they're able to make it uh, meaningful. And, uh, and now we're entering into the, uh, the, 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 uh, the later portion here of the show. I just want to take time uh, to talk about the Anchor app. And if you folks don't know about the Anchor app, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Uh, there's in-app tools that you can use to edit your podcast. You can uh, assign it a sponsorship. Uh, you can do all sorts of things with your content, but it all starts with you becoming more, for, more familiar with Anchor. And if you're not, you can go to your Apple App Store, or Android App Store, or visit Anchor Online at anchor.fm. Um, and just getting back to what uh, we were talking about here when it comes down to um, DC uh, for many years, uh, because it, 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 you either you're you're a writer, right? Let's say you're a young, enterprising um, uh, uh, writer, and you want to uh, write comic books, and so you go to Marvel and you come up with all sorts of characters. And uh, there was even an, a a a a a clip that was shared of Stan Lee talking about when he was introducing Spider Man to his to his editor at the time, and. Could you imagine being Stan Lee with a character like Spider-Man? They not want to take it until you, you know, through some surreptitious uh, uh, manners and, 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 and able to get this character written in anyway. And then people see how successful it is. Well, imagine being not Stan Lee and having a great character that you want to flesh out and, 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 and make, you know, well known. Uh, but let's just say you're not seeing eye to eye with your publisher and they're, they're just not going to see your character. So then you may go over to DC <laughs> or vice versa. You may say, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm Will Leverson. I've been doing, I've been writing comics for three years. And I kind of really want to come over here and make sure that I, that, that I, that I make the company strong. And they say, well, what do you got? And you happen to say, well, you know, I got this character that that's a spider man. And, and so, you know, that's just how comic books have gone. You know, one person's loss, another person's gain. Whether you're Slade Wilson and your name is Deathstroke, or you're Wade Wilson and your name is Deadpool, um, or if you're Thanos or Darkseid, or whether you're Superman or the Sentry, um, whether you are Batman or Tony Stark, um, you're going to get some of these parallels. But one of the characters that I think 
and, and this is my opinion, but I want to know what, what you guys think um, later on. Um, there is a character that has such a strong and important story apart from Amanda Waller on DC that I am more than confident that the folks that over at Marvel, uh, Disney specifically, and having people that absolutely would know the story and what have you, um, Killmonger as a cinema character. Killmonger has been around in Marvel Comics, I would like to say, since about 1967 or so. Um, it certainly did not predate um, DC's sort of version of what Killmonger was in Marvel, Black Manta. Black Manta and Aquaman. Um, for those of you that don't know, Aquaman um, is, as far as his comic book character goes, Aquaman is a Atlantis, an Atlantis enthusiast, Atlantis nationalist. What that is to say is that Aquaman, as far as a character, is indifferent to, in a lot of times, things that happen for surface dwellers. Because, of course, we know that surface dwellers pollute the oceans and they cause, you know, sea life all sorts of havoc. Kind of don't have a respect for anything outside of, you know, what's on the land. So Aquaman's character is already like a, a supremist sort of minded person. But we don't see that play out so much in the cinema uh, because Jason Momoa doesn't just look good with a shirt off. He, you know, you kind of don't want, you want to use kind of what people already have nat naturally going on. That's why uh, there's a lot of promotional art with The Rock as, as, as John Stewart Green Lantern or The Rock as Black Adam because you want to kind of use, you know, people's natural branding um, to help push a narrative. So the Aquaman that we got in the movie was trying to find his way in the world. And even Jason Momoa being cast as this character um, kind of makes sense, right? Because Aquaman is of mixed ancestry, and I believe that Jason Momoa um, also is of mixed ancestry. Um, Aquaman, of course, is an imposing, powerful uh, character, and Jason Momoa is kind of that in real life. So it didn't really, it didn't really take. And honestly, he's kind of honestly, if you look at Jason Momoa, you look at Aquaman, but, but besides the the old, you know, old, old old yellow and green, and having the hair. Jason Momoa is is he kind of when you look at him he's like that's that's Aquaman dude that is Aquaman and so we were able to appreciate that but we didn't get a chance to really flesh out and hopefully we get it later on but we don't really get a chance to see the supremacist Aquaman and that's where the strength of this next story or this last story that I'm going to share from the world of DC and the DC disconnect and why it's so important for DC as opposed to Marvel now that Marvel's in this in this, uh, in this uh, uh, limbo between phases and trying to introduce things, it would, it would be better for cinema. It would be better for storytelling. It would be better for our current narrative that we're experiencing in our country to have an Aquaman movie that is something of fantasy that's able to pre present these things. Because I think it, when we, when we kind of see these themes play out, where it's not as aggressive or not as draconian or not as dry as listening to the news. Like, you know, I think would you, would you rather see uh, a, a, a president carry out a supremacist sort of platform or would you like to see it play out in cinema where it's, it's presenting you that th those, those themes without exposing you to harm. And so the character of black Manta and why 
his story, or at least one of the stories um, that was told in the mid in the mid seventies, um, is so important to our conversation today. But unfortunately, Killmonger kind of preempted, or Disney with the character of Killmonger kind of preempted who Black Manta could be in this narrative. Black Manta is a, as far as a character, um, he looks menacing, right? He has this big oversized helmet with these two eyes and they're laser eyes, and he kind of looks alien and all these things. But Black Manta, um, as he was written into the uh, Aquaman movie, is a black man. But the reason that Black Manta wants to, and this should have been written into the Aquaman movie, and maybe they're saving it for down the road, but Black Manta's character, when you look at the story presented in the 70s, was not seeking to take out Atlantis or to take out Aquaman just for profit or because, you know, he's just this gruff guy. No, Black Manta wanted to take over Atlantis to give Black Americans a home, a place that they could not be touched. And that strength of that story is so important because the way it was presented in the 70s, of course, in the comic book. So, you know, if you're a kid at that time frame, and so if you're in the 70s, and so you're maybe 10 to 15 to 20 years older than I am, right? Or about to be. You would have saw this story, and it may, and you would have had you think, just like a character named Black Panther in the mid-60s and 70s would have resounded um, to so many um, um, people. Uh, and that's why it's important that in storytelling, um, you know, publishers like DC or Marvel, that they get these stories right, and that when they present them uh, to folks uh, in the in, through through their cinematic universes, that they kind of don't shy away from these because that's exactly what comic books have always been. It's been an escape. It's been a way for us to juxtapose some of the stuff that we see in the world in, in, in a different, and it'll take us, you know, sort of lands away. Uh, there is no frigate like a book to take us lands away nor any courser like a page of prancing poetry. This traverse may the poorest take without oppressive toll. How frugal is the chariot that bears a human soul is a, is a poem that was written many years ago that I still remember from my days of high school as a mnemonic device uh, some 20 years ago um, when I was in high school, man. Um, like uh, 22, as a matter of fact, years ago. My goodness, I didn't realize it was that long ago. But some 22 years ago, I remember reciting this poem, and that poem is an ode to books, to literature, to reading. Because in those, in, when we're in those books, uh, we're, those of us that grew up in the 80s grew up with Never Ended Story, which young boy uh, to escape the world was reading the book there, Never Ended Story, that became kind of real for him and Falcor and Atreyu and all that stuff in the uh, Childlike Empress. But that is a very real thing. Much of what we're seeing in the world from activism, even uh, from people uh, that are woke or what have you, many of those people were introduced to these themes harmlessly in comic books. There's a gentleman. I'll leave you with this thought. There's a gentleman who is a famous actor. And some folks may know this at, 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 at this time, but this gentleman's born name is Nicholas 
Coppola. He's a part of the uh, Francis Ford Coppola, part of the Coppola family of, of filmmakers. Nicholas Coppola changed his, I shouldn't say change, but his acting name is Nicholas Cage, not because he was caged up as a kid, but he read Luke Cage as a kid. And it, and it stayed with Nicholas Coppola for so long that when he became a, a you know, when he, when he started, uh, 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 get, you know, becoming famous and everything, his name is Nicholas Cage because he read Luke Cage as a kid. And so that representation that little Nicholas Cage is reading as a, when he's younger, Nicholas Cage, when you, have you heard anything bad about Nicholas Cage? Have you heard about being like, you know, maybe some closeted bigot? No, because a great deal of people who were, who were, who, who were now seen uh, enter into, uh, you know, a, a little bit older age, the world that they were presented, and, and we even made on our, on our other show, and I hope that, that, that you all will go back and take a listen to, uh, to some of the other content uh, here on the, on, the, uh, on, on the Comics Weekly show, but that's exactly what we talked about in, in our first episode uh, of the show there, that, that, that a great deal of what we're seeing um, isn't because uh, people suddenly got to change their heart and because we were taught to be tolerant. We were taught that, you know, that, that, that we shouldn't uh, repeat the same mistakes of yesteryear, but that wasn't simply presented uh, you know, overwhelmingly as a regime norm. Nope. Most of the people that were exposed to, uh, to, you know, to even wanting to see a representation of, 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 of people, persons of color, and we're still not there yet in our storytelling. For example, there's Kamala Khan, uh, who is the new Miss Marvel. Uh, there's America Ferreira. Uh, there's, man, there's a lot, Miles, Miles Morales um, isn't the first iteration of these of these comic book characters who were written in because some people because people of color were misrepresented in comics or weren't represented at all. I mean, take a look at the Justice League. Okay, before John Stewart, there was Hal Jordan. Okay, that's it, man. Like you can say that the Martian Manhunter, John Janaz, or whatever, like. I get it, but he was a Martian and everybody else was white, man. And so these comics that we get later on where we're having, you know, all these, my goodness, we lambasted the, uh, the second Fantastic Four movie because Michael B. Jordan was a black human torch, man. Like we're still not there yet in our storytelling or how we even want to see. There were people giving, uh, giving uh, uh, producers flack for casting um, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for getting it here, uh, here in the show. Um, oh yeah, man, that, 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 as far as even people being like James Bond, there was this big thing where Idris Elba folks were like, man, he should be James Bond. And I'm like, no, it should be, it should be the guy that played Baron, uh, uh, that played Mordo, uh, from, 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 uh, Dr. Strange. Like he's a better suit for, you know, for, for a, a James Bond than I think Idris is. Idris is just kind of this imposing, um, sort of guy, but honestly, I think, and I forget that gentleman's name, how to pr how to pronounce it. Um, but he is a, the guy that played Baron Mordo in the uh, in the Doctor Strange movie. He should be Doctor. He sh he should be James Bond. But like I said, we're still not there in our storytelling or how we even want to see uh, these characters represented. My goodness, Disney was even lambasted for having uh, Finn, the character of Finn, 
And so while we've made great strides in, in the way that we appreciate or want to interact with our world, we still have so far to go. But thank goodness that through uh, many years in recent years uh, that we've been presented with different ways of storytelling, different characters being introduced to bring a different narrative and to have different conversations that are meaningful and impactful and hopefully they'll change lives. And uh, unfortunately, that's all the time that we have here for you today, guys. I thank you for joining in with us. We'll try to keep these uh, shows here underneath an hour so you can listen to them, uh, you know, maybe on a break or, or what have you. But thanks so much for listening. Please stay tuned next week as we explore uh, more of Marvel, uh, where, where we're taking a look at the X-Men and, 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 and some of that mythos uh, where, we, uh, where we're going to talk about some of the previewing, some of the content that's coming out in the next Marvel phase here. But I thank you guys for listening to Levy Lamb's Comics Weekly. Uh, please like, share, um, and, uh, and listen on again. Thank you, guys.